Tonight's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act becomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be used to hearing that be read at weddings, but tonight... I want you to remember those words as we talk about the church, because that chapter that Shannon just read is immediately following these instructions that we are about to study with regard to church membership. So when you hear those beautiful things that if you closed your eyes, you may have thought that you were standing at a wedding ceremony, remember those as we talk about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ throughout this sermon. After my family moved here, to Astoria in 2011 with the McGee's to start this church, we quickly found a very easy way to save money, even in New York City. You guys ready? Wholesale shopping. Anybody ever been to Costco? I was there yesterday. It's still delivering high-end goods at low-cost prices, exactly like a father of three needs, especially in New York City. Daniel and Carrie, when we got here, had already learned this. They have four children themselves. They had already bought a membership to Costco. So when we got here, we just tagged along with them. Every time Daniel would go to Costco, he'd shoot me a text. Hey, I'm going today. What do you need? He'd come pick me up. We would go to Costco. We would save a lot of money. And of course, as you know, we'd spend a lot of money. You cannot go to Costco and not spend $100. I have never done it, and I don't think it's possible. So you try if you'd like. But we stock up at the waterfront Costco just off of Broadway. And Costco is a members-only warehouse. So you purchase an annual membership, right? You can get the regular level, or they even have the executive level. And you have access then to the entire store and to their entire web store. You shop at the very end. You come to the checkout. You show your membership card. When you show that, they scan it, you check out, you pay, and it's done. It's a pretty great model, and it's helped us and many others save a lot of money. 
Plus, who doesn't need a five-pound bucket of Jelly Belly jelly beans in their pantry at all times? Um, But one day, a few years ago, I needed to go to Costco, but Daniel couldn't go with me. So I just swung by his house. He said, no big deal. He handed me his Costco card. I mean, what could go wrong? So I stroll into Costco. The first person at the door asks to see your membership. You just show them the card, not the side with the picture on it, the other side. And, you know, they wave you through and you go. I get all my shopping done. I come to the end. I go to the line and I was asked for my ID. Now, I had never seen anyone ask Daniel for his ID when we checked out. But today, this skeptical cashier wanted to know if I was Daniel McGee. Of course, I didn't even get it out of my pocket. I said, that's my friend's card. She said, sorry, you can't check out. You are not a member. I said, but my friend's card, I come here all the time with him. And by that point, I realized I was just going to argue with her and make her day terrible. And she's just following the rules. I'm the one not following the rules. So I conceded. She said, I can leave your stuff here. Just go over to customer service, get a membership, and come back. So I did that, and now we are three and a half years strong Costco members, and it's all for the better, because I can go whenever I need. Um, But, you know, oftentimes people hear this term church membership, and they may think of something like the scenario I just described you, right? Like you're picturing that Costco and the church are similar. It's the same type of experience. There's the church, which would be Costco, and then there are people wannabes like me, and members like Daniel. When you pay your dues, financial or otherwise, right? There's other ways to pay your dues at church, maybe praying or being there to help with setup or tear down if it's a church start like ours. Um, that You can become a member and you can begin receiving the perks of church membership. The church wannabes are just walking around like me, standing as close to a member at the communion checkout line, but they haven't fully taken the plunge yet and become members. Now, there are several problems to thinking about church membership in this way, as I'm sure that you can imagine. In the next few minutes, though, I want to discuss a few of these from Scripture. The most distinct difference, though, that I want us to see from Paul's letter to this church in Corinth that Daniel talked about a minute ago is a complete change in the way that you think about the word member. When it, is, when it comes to the church, right? At Costco, a member is what I described a minute ago. But throw that definition away when you think of the church, okay? Paul is not talking about membership to a place where consumers receive perks based on their membership status when he describes church membership. When we have this understanding of church, right, the incorrect one, when we think church is like Costco— We fall into the trap of treating God like a cashier. We thank him on our way out after he let us purchase all of the religious blessings and good feelings that we found most appealing when we walked into his big warehouse to shop. Okay, that's the danger of seeing church membership like Costco membership. They didn't pay me for this sermon, but they should. Paul means member in a medical sense. 
Now, if you just Google member definitions, you'll see the different definitions. One of them is that Costco is using that term correctly. But so is Paul. And I have fallen into the trap in the past, and you might have as well, of hearing church membership and thinking that definition that Costco uses. You're a paying member of a club where you receive benefits. Paul is talking about member in the medical sense, as in a part or organ of the body. So, as we explore three unique characteristics of church membership as outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, begin, please, by changing the way you think about the word member. Don't think about it in the Costco sense. Think about it like it's a human body. An arm is a member. An ear is a member. A leg, and so on and so forth. The first thing, if we do this, that we can learn about church membership from this passage that we'll go down through in just a moment is that, number one, if you want to take notes on the back of that worship folder you were handed, there's an area for that. The first thing we can learn is that there is unity among diversity in the membership of the body of Christ. There is unity among diversity. Now, to help understand this really quickly, first let's forget, uh, let's uh, distinguish unity from uniformity, right? Uniformity means everyone is the same. Continuing the Costco analogy, if you're a member, you are uniform. There's not a membership that gets you a super fat discount at Costco. You can pay them $200 a year instead of $100, and then you get 50% off of everything. That's not how it is. Everyone's equal status. They're all just members, okay? That's uniformity. But unity doesn't mean that everyone is the same. Unity means that everyone is together. And a beautiful thing about church membership, as Paul describes here, is that inside of the church body, the members, which are very diverse, hands, feet, eyes, arm, they're very different, but they are unified Just like my body is physically moving like it should right now, the body of Christ can move. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, as Paul describes this. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Inside the body of Christ, there is great diversity. It's a lot like our city. You know, here in New York, we are pressed together, ethnically, economically, spiritually, and on the subways in the morning commute, physically. We are pressed together. Unlike the church, though, we all have different aspirations and motivations. That's right. In this city, we're we're pressed together, we're very diverse, but we're not very unified. We're together, but in most cases, miles apart. You may be here to get a leg up in your career before retreating to the suburb life. Your neighbor may be here because 
She was born and raised in that two-family home that you're now renting from her. Her goal was never to leave. Someone else may be escaping religious or political oppression, and they see New York City as a beacon or a symbol of freedom and opportunity. Right? So we're all here, but we're not very unified. Regardless of why you're here, you are here. The church, though, is not the same. Paul says that the body of Christ has a unique ability by the baptism of the Holy Spirit to bring together people who normally wouldn't associate with one another. Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free, a little bit of background. In those times, these four groups would be farther apart than any of you or I with regard to other people that are not like us in New York City. Jews and Greeks would not associate with one another. They wouldn't eat in one another's homes. Slaves and free, we have some scars of slavery in our country. You can imagine what it would be like preaching this to early American culture, saying everyone is unified as one, slaves and free. It was similar to that. Then Paul said it to the church at Corinth. So he's saying, listen, our cultural mandates are blasted when it comes to unity in the church. People who would never normally associate with one another do. And the reason is very simple. The power of the Holy Spirit. You see, they have one unifying lifeblood. The city can bring a diverse group of lives together. But the Spirit gives a diverse group of people life. In the church, members all come to the same fountain. Not to consume, to live. You see, we are unified in that once, before our faith in Christ, before our baptism in the Holy Spirit, we were dead. Dead. And now, after placing our faith in Christ, acknowledging our sin to Him, confessing that, and placing our faith in Him, saying, God, You are my King. You are my Lord. The Holy Spirit fills us with His power, and He gives us life. So we are not just together. We are alive for the first time. So the reason the church can be unified in a unique way, apart from the rest of society, is because the the church is full of the walking dead. We were dead, and now we are alive. Amen? Next, Paul gives us an idea of how membership works and why the church has it. Why do you need membership? Read with me in verses 14 through 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, 
where would be the sense of smell. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So first, we are, there is unity among diversity inside the membership of the body of Christ. Second, though, members are interdependent. You notice how he explains this analogy? Paul is clearly teaching to us that each member in the church has a specific role and a specific function. And that each of those functions are interdependent. They depend on one another. Imagine a hand, okay, floating without an arm. Sure, you could grasp and hold on to things because you're a hand. But how could you reach? What about an eye without the brain? We can only see what the brain is processing for us, right? <clears throat> when I played basketball in high school, there was a drill that our coach called 17s. This was a terrible, terrible, der- terrible drill. So terrible that when we go to St. John on our mission trip in a few weeks or a couple months, we're going to do a very similar drill, right, Coach Shannon? That's right. So one, uh, one, 17, one 17 is sprinting back and forth across the width, not the length, that'd be terrible. This is bad enough. Across the width of the court 17 times. So one there, two back, three there, four back. When you get to 17, you're done. You have completed one 17. At the end of every practice, we would line up along the baseline and the first, actually the sideline, and the first person would step up to the free throw line and take a shot. One free throw. If he made it, no one ran. Right? There were about 16 of us on the team. If he missed it, everyone ran. One seventeen, Except him. That'll keep you from getting back at your friends, right? The coach was trying to teach us, as a team, we function as one unit. We win as a team, we lose as a team. Everyone from the guy who's on this line, he has to shoot free throws, who sits on the bench the entire game, (laughs) to the starting point guard. Everyone is vital to the team's Success. That's what he was trying to teach us. This is similar to church membership. You see, churches are designed by God. Here's what they're designed to do. To bring God's kingdom, his peace, his love, the gospel, the good news of his kingdom to a specific place at a specific time. That's why there are different expressions of the church throughout all of history and throughout all of the world, even right now. Because each church is designed to bring the kingdom to that specific place and time. Connection Church is designed specifically to bring the kingdom of God to this neighborhood here in Western Queens. If we picked up Connection Church and put it in downtown Brooklyn, it would not work like it works here. Because it's designed specifically for here. They're designed to make their neighborhood a better place to live by loving God and loving their neighbors. Each member has a specific part to play in this mission. And each specific part 
affects the others. So God knew when he designed God knew when he designed it that a system like this had to there had to be a level playing field. After all, it doesn't take long for the team to realize that even if it has to run 17s because of the worst player on the team's missed free throw, at least he'll never have an opportunity in a game, right? He'll be on the bench the whole season. So how does this diverse group of unified interdependent members remain useful and highly effective because couldn't you just put the worst player on the bench how do you make sure that the best players the the quote best players and the quote worst players are both being are living to their fullest potential to their god-given potential making sure they're useful and effective well they thought of this So let's read about it. Paul says in verse 21 and following, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? That's the the really good player saying to the worst player on the bench. We don't have need of you in the game. Okay? The eye can't say that to the hand, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, we are unified by the life-giving Spirit. And we are interdependent. Everyone's actions depend on the other. And all of this happens inside of Number three, an upside-down kingdom. We've preached on this here before, a couple of years ago. But in short, the church is not like the world in at least three radical ways that Paul describes here. All of these characteristics are indicative of something often referred to as an upside-down kingdom. Which means, instead of Christ coming to lord his power over subjects and use them for his advantage like an earthly king might do. Jesus, the king of all creation, came and knelt before them. And he served the least of these. And then he even died in their place. In doing this, he showed us the way to live together as one living body, filled with his spirit. There's three ways. The first way the church membership is upside down from the world is that the weak are indispensable. Verse 22, he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You can't say it any more clearly than that. Our world functions in the way that those who are weak or powerless are cast aside or sat on the bench or play unimportant roles. 
Paul says our perception is not reality. He says in verse 22 that those who seem to be weaker, he's implying to us, you think they're weak, but that's just seeming to you. This is your perception and your perception is wrong. So those who seem to be weak to us are indispensable. Practically, what does this mean? It means in your head, in my head, when I am looking at my fellow church members and I have a cross thought toward one of them, something to the effect of, well, they never really do that much or I don't even know what they would do if they did try because I've seen them try and fail at so many things. They just seem weak. Then the cross-examination I need to do of myself, right, the conviction that this is giving me is, I need to change the way I think about weakness. Because Paul says in the church, that person is indispensable. It's kind of like what the coach did in basketball. Why did the guy who sat on the bench the whole game have to take the free throw in practice? I mean, at the end of the day, when all the cards are on the table, it's probably for one reason, one thing the coach knew. That it could so happen in a rare event that in the championship game, several people went out on an injury. And this person would be called into a leadership upfront spot in the heat of the moment with the game tied and the clock on one second. And because the coach saw this person as indispensable during practice, and he pushed him hard, and he relied heavily on his defense against the um, same team's offense during practice drills, and he made him go through that pressure, pressure situation, that when that person stepped up to the plate or to the free throw line, it doesn't matter if they would make the free throw or not, but they would not be out there for the first time. The coach knew that this person was indispensable. And that meant they needed to have the practice. They needed to be put into the position to make decisions, to serve others. They needed to be given the responsibilities that they had. The second way the church membership is upside down is that the dishonorable are honored. Listen to verse 23 through 25. And on those parts of the body that we think are less that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division inside the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The dishonorable are honored in an upside-down kingdom. One love for another is not based on performance. One's, our, our love for another is not based on performance. It's based on the love that Christ has given to us. When we understand that in the gospel, that it's the good news to our dead souls, just like it's the good news to that person's dead soul, sometimes it breaks our selfishness enough to realize that the punishment that we deserved for our perception of this person that we thought was dispensable is the same. 
where we can see clearly that it wasn't just that they were dead and God raised them, but that I was dead and God raised me. That can help us notice that our, our love for this person is not based on their performance, just like Christ's love was not based on mine. So um, we will start to understand that we do not deserve any honor and that we have been given much in Christ. This becomes our motivation to bestow honor upon those that the world would not normally, based on their outward appearance, their, inward, their inner turmoil, their lack of social skills, the list goes on. Whatever it is that causes you to place dishonor on someone can be transformed inside this upside-down kingdom. Paul makes it clear that inside the body of Christ, all are honored, especially those the world gives the least amount of honor to. This is one very important reason that Lindsay and Carrie and and Shannon and Charity have left their comfort, their jobs, their family, their friends, and traveled thousands of miles with your support financially and prayerfully to serve the refugees, the people who are sitting in tents on hillsides in complete dishonor. It's to look them in the eye and say, in God's kingdom, you deserve honor just as much as I do. It's to show them that love instead of just thinking it or telling it. That's what it looks like when you and I start to look at other people and give them the honor that God designed for them to have. And finally, the third way that the church is upside down is selfless humility. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Together, If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Jealousy and contempt can rule our lives. The whole concept of keeping up with the Joneses is based on the idea that when someone has something you want, this is what Daniel was talking about in the big idea, when someone has something that you want, you should give almost anything to get it. Even if it means going in debt to a bookie who may hurt or even kill you. This concept, although we normally think of it like this, is not strictly material, though. We look at others around us and we see them happy, or we see them look happy anyway on social media or in pleasantries as you pass them by when we are depressed or apathetic, and it can lead us to disdain them. We see this not materialistically when we glory in our enemy's defeat and we secretly lust after our friends' successes. Inside the body of Christ, though, we are called to a radical selflessness. A humility that is marked by trusting the faithfulness of God enough to celebrate when one among us is honored and trusting God's timing enough to suffer when another one suffers. You know, suffering takes intentionality. When we are superficial 
or cordial with others, it is impossible to suffer with them truly. However, if we have a vision of our life in the kingdom as one of unity in the Spirit, and we see those who we are unified with as vitally important to our mission, it becomes easier to surrender to the calling of God, to suffer with them, to rejoice with them, without the fear of missing out on a chance to get a leg up. In conclusion, the church is not a place to consume. The church is not Costco. The church is a body. It's a living, it is living because of the breath of the Holy Spirit, which unites people from a very diverse crowd into a community. It is interdependently connected. And this body is drastically different from the world around it. The seemingly weak are seen as vitally important. Those who the world would dishonor are filled with honor. And they have the full rights and responsibilities that everyone else does. And selfless humility is the characteristic that makes these things possible. The chapter immediately following that teaching is what Shannon read a moment ago. That we are to love one another. How could I look at that person who is so weak? It seems so, like they are so dispensable to me. How can I look at them and think that they are not, that they are indispensable like me? Because love bears all things. Right? It's beautiful in a wedding ceremony, and it's not too far out of context to be used there. But what Paul was talking about when he said those beautiful things about love was not a husband and a wife. He was talking about the body of Christ. We are to be the ones who are forgiving each other their wrongs, regardless of whether we have been forgiven. We are to be the ones who are be looking to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, to see and to learn how to love one another well. And tonight, as Daniel challenged earlier, to begin thinking, what are the selfish areas in my life? I hope that you and I will leave not downtrodden thinking about all of the selfish areas of our lives, but encouraged knowing that here at Connection Church, there is a family, there is a living, breathing body of Christ that if you are not a part of, you are welcome to join. And we are not perfect. We are diverse. And in our diversity comes a lot of problems. Some of us are rich, some of us are poor. Some of us are here for opportunity. Some of us are here because we were born and raised and we don't really like it. Some of us are old. Some of us are young. But one thing is for certain. We are all once dead, now alive. And we don't think it was because of anything that we did. 
That is what church membership is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of the church. Thank you that you do not want us to come and consume and receive and purchase our way into an exclusive club that gives us specific benefits. But you want us to die to ourselves, to be selfless, to seek the good of others, that you want us to be united by the Holy Spirit's life-giving power. Father, would you challenge us to give honor where the world would dishonor? And would you challenge us to see those who seem weak to us as indispensable for your kingdom here in this neighborhood, at this church? Thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible by his sacrifice on the cross and his giving us the Holy Spirit's life. Challenge us now in communion to confess our sins and to come to the table unified as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.